Welcome to the Heat of Command podcast, Mastering the Art of Fire Service Leadership. Where we, your hosts, aim to teach you how to use introspection and self-reflection to be your most authentic, genuine self, leader, and human being. And now, here are your hosts. This is Kyle Matusik. And Carrie Henderson. Thanks for joining. The Baby Boomer episode is here. And we are very fortunate to have our first guest here on the Heat of Command podcast, and we're really excited to get this going, uh, talking to different generations and seeing you know, strengths and weaknesses of each generation out in the workplace, what they bring to the workplace, how we meet each generation, where they're at in the workplace, uh, how our senior generations lead the younger generations, and talk all about that fun stuff and uncomfortable stuff that comes along with that. Uh, so it's an exciting time. You know, this is our first uh, generation we're going to talk about, uh, baby boomers. We'll be going into Gen X, millennials, Gen Z. Uh, we've talked about putting our kids on here and getting Gen Alphas, but that that would be fun, right? <laughs> uh, but besides that, uh, I'm going to send it over to Carrie, and we're going to get going with our first guest. All right. Thanks, Kyle. So last episode, we just kind of did a brief overview of each generation, and today we're going to uh, dive down a little bit deeper and talk to, talk about baby boomers and talk to someone from that generation that has come through our department. And so with us today, we have Chief Joe Davis, and he's um, retired deputy chief from our fire department and has actually come back to work uh, shortly after he retired. He can give you a little bit of overview of kind of his career, um, came back to work with us part time as our recruitment coordinator. And so he has a ton of experience working with all the generations that have come through uh, our workplace, which I thought would be really interesting to get his perspective of on all this because he has lived it and and seen all the generations that have come after him into the workplace. So it's it's pretty cool to have him. And and now he is a um, he's moved over as a uh, what is your role as a uh, fire inspector inspector. Yeah. So a fire inspector. So it's uh, great to have Chief Davis here. And um, so we'll kind of get in to some characteristics that I found on Indeed that I thought were really interesting because they, some of them are spot on when I think of Chief Davis because we, I've I've worked for him for a long time, and and it, it they they make a lot of sense, and then some of them it, it's very interesting because I I think he falls in a different place with some of them. So I'm gonna go through a couple of these and ask him kind of his opinion and his experience with some of these qualities and characteristics, and and just pick his brain as we go. So. The uh, baby boomers are born between 1946 and 1964, and Indeed says that people in this generation value workplace visibility, pride themselves in their work, and are typically typically competitive. So um, born directly following World War II and uh, return of soldiers placed paired with economic prosperity in the late 1940s and 50s led to a steep increase in births. So that's kind of the baby boomer generation in a nutshell. But the first thing, and this is pretty interesting because this is you, avoiding retirement. The first boomers turned 65 in 2011, and meaning the majority of this generation has reached retirement age. But just because the em- employees are reaching retirement age doesn't mean they're retiring. They continue to work past the age of 65 when they can retire. And, you know, it's a little bit different in the fire service because we can retire much earlier, which is a blessing. Um, but Chief Davis retired and came back to work. Um, so uh, 
you fall into this category. Can you tell us about your decision to retire as our deputy chief and what made you come back to working part-time? First, uh, thanks for having me, Carrie and Kyle. Uh, I want, I do want to say that I am a baby boomer, but I am toward the later or the tail end oh, of baby, yeah. baby boomers. I was born in 62, but, um, so, but, uh, certainly feeling, feeling my age. <laughs> we always like those disclosures, especially when you're, you're at that transition of one generation to another. And, you know, we've, we've spoken about micro generations and a lot of times how we have characteristics of each, you know, and, and so that's typical, you know, when we talk each generation, it, when we talk about it, it's a lot of generalities, you know, so it, in general, this is what we see, but we understand that there's caveats to every individual, right? We're all different. We all grew up in a different world. Yeah. yeah. And I'm the tail end of Gen X. So I have a lot of millennial qualities too. I don't often admit that. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so the fire service has been my career and, and actually uh, in a few months, I'll have my 40th anniversary when I first started as a firefighter here at James city County. And, and um, so, and I don't know if it would say uh, generational, generational trade or not, but um, same department since 1984, um, even started in the volunteer system in 1980. Gosh. So 40, four years ago this month when I started as a volunteer in James city. So, um, so I think dedication to an organization is, is maybe a feature of, um, of baby boomers. Um, and, uh, in my decision personally to retire and, and not so much retire and come back to work, um, was driven with, um, maybe somewhat of an exception to baby boomers is that, uh, I do believe in a, a very strongly believe in work-life balance. Um, so I know, and maybe I picked this up from watching my father who was, uh, I grew up on a family farm and, and he was a workaholic and, and, and I never thought he would really retire and, and to enjoy life. I mean, he, he always worked and looked forward to working and, and that's, that's what he did. And, uh, and fortunately, he did later on learn to relax a little bit and pick up pick up the game of golf and learn to relax. And uh, but I always knew that it's important to again enjoy life um, even while you're working. And uh, certainly with our opportunities as in public safety and in, in Virginia, as Carrie alluded to, we can retire at age 50 with 25 years service. Um, and across the country, it's probably somewhat similar um, to other retirement uh, or pension plans um, with other fire departments. Um, and when I decided to retire, I, that wasn't my initial game plan to retire at age 50. Uh, I always, I enjoyed the thought of getting to that end of the tunnel and I always characterize it as when the light is so big, you can't, you can't miss the tunnel because you're at that age and you can go at any time. And there's a great bit of freedom, um, at least in your spirit when you have that. And, um, so it was a couple months after I turned 50 and I, as I put it, I had an epiphany and uh, I knew I was going to work part-time. It's, it's, um, I'm a busy person. I have to be busy. I have to do things. And certainly I did pick that up from, um, from the work ethics uh, of my, my parents and, uh, and, and I enjoyed doing things, uh, both related to the fire service and outside the fire service. And what better way to do that than to work part-time and, and, to have other, do other things. Uh, wife and I always enjoy traveling. We travel quite a bit and, and, uh, and with work, I still enjoyed with the people I worked with. Um, so it's the best of both worlds, um, working effectively three days a week and, um, and coming from the position I was in, I retired as the deputy chief, which, um, I must say could be one of the least fun positions to be in. A necessary position, but not necessarily as much fun as uh, all those other steps getting up to it. 
Um, and uh, so upon retirement, I got rid of personnel issues, staffing issues, and all the other things that you folks worry about today, and I don't have to. <laughs> um, so, so a great stress relief from that, and I can kind of focus on things that are maybe are you know more fun now. And uh, as Carrie alluded, I uh, did recruitment. I really enjoyed that. Certainly, I gained a lot of perspective on um, again these the other generations that are that are after me. And um, and you know by comparison, I, sometimes I do feel like I am the dinosaur in the room uh, when I <laughs> talk to these you know and not to belittle them or you know talk to these kids as they are to me now. Um, and for many folks that I did hire as a recruiter, um, are for a long time have been younger than my own children. <laughs> Um, so that kind of puts things in perspective too. Um, you know, they were born after I graduated high school. They were born after I got hired in the fire department. Um, and, uh, so, but anyway, but it, and everybody, each generation certainly has their qualities and, and, and maybe sometimes it's hard to generalize a generation to an individual, but, um, but individually, of course, we look for good people. And, and certainly I think by a great, a great part, um, we do, do find those folks. And I'm glad that you brought up the work-life balance part because that was something that that is something that you taught me and and I've been grateful for that it is okay to turn your phone off and it is okay to go away and not be available because that's hard and and you know baby boomers like you said that you may be different from your generation in that but Gen X Gen X started to try to find a work-life balance I definitely don't think we mastered it by any means I think uh, millennials and definitely Gen Z are getting much closer at what that should look like. But I, I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that um, you, you've done well and, you know, you and your wife traveling so much. And um, so that is something that you've passed on to, I think, a lot of us that, that we didn't, we, we weren't comfortable with, but, but now we're better at. Well, you know, and, and at the same time, you know, while I was working and, and I, you know, I took full advantage of, you know, obviously we get great, uh, benefits packages and when you're working for local government or any government. Um, so vacation leave, you know, stuff like that. Um, and fortunately for in our department, we've, I, I feel always felt we've had a very liberal leave policy and we've always worked with our employees and, and getting the time off that they need. And, and, um, and so when I was even working full time, I certainly took full advantage of taking all those leave days and, and trying not to give anything back in, in that regard. Um, but in the same, at the same time, when there was work needed to be done, it was done. Um, of course, there were many hours after hours of taking care of things that need to be taken care of. Um, of course, as soon as you get promoted to a chief position or a non-exempt position, your hourly rate plummets <laughs> because you spend more time, you know, uh, doing things you need to do because it has to be done. So um, so that work-life balance to me is even more critical to when you have an opportunity to take advantage of that time off and to unwind um, and to, you know, leave work at work and, you know, and hopefully leave home at home too. I, I've also mentally have been able to do that. Um, you see so many people that, you know, that everybody has issues, everybody has problems, but you know, and you bring it to work and maybe your work performance might suffer for that. And, and of course home may suffer because of what's going on at work too. So um, I've always been good about separating that and trying not to have both uh, come together, you know, really. Um, That's hard. Sometimes that's hard to leave at the door. It is. It is. Um, yeah. I, I used to say I had a toggle switch and, you know, inserted that, uh, you know, when I sat down to see it heading home, I, I could turn work off. And, and the same thing when I, when I left home, I can turn that off when I got to work. So we can, you know, you can focus on 
both things that are important depends on where you are. So, yeah. And I think generationally that's probably different for, you know, I think nowadays it's much harder sometimes um, to leave stuff either place. Yeah. Right. I think. Yeah. You know, in the same regard, there have been plenty of times where I have brought work home cut a necessity that, yeah. you know, again, when, you know, there, there is a dedication, um, to, to duty, you have to get things done and you know, there are timelines that you have to meet. And, and of course, it's always the things that interrupt those timelines that, you know, in, in public safety, you know, every time, you know, all the time. Um, and, uh, but again, you focus on what need, you need to take care of and get it taken care of and, and hopefully meet all your deadlines and, and, but. And again, when you have the opportunity to relax and unwind and, and let it go for a little bit, then certainly do that. Um, you know, again, when you and since we're a smaller department, we, I believe, socialize a lot more off duty compared to maybe such than large departments. So certainly I think shifts in large departments might get together and do things and then which is great. Um, but really, the last thing I want to do when I'm socializing sometimes outside of work is talk about work, right. yep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so but, you know, again, I'm I'm maybe a little bit of the exception on that too. So, so uh, something that came to mind when you were, you were talking is another thing uh, chief Davis has come back to work is he's kind of almost our advisor for a lot of us that were in administrative executive roles. We were very young when all of us got promoted into our current roles. And, and here we had somebody with a ton of experience at a deputy chief level and so he's he's here working as recruitment and retention, but um, he's there as an advisor as well. I know the fire chief has has called on him many many times, and 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 me learning recruitment and hiring and just all kinds of different personnel issues. He's he's there as as an advisor, kind of unofficially, which has been nice. But it, what it made me think of is uh, I was reading again on Indeed about the how different generations make decisions. And I know that um, Chief Dave is a very rational decision maker. He's very methodical and historical perspective decisions. And I'm a very emotional decision maker. So I, I make a lot of decision based on what feels right. And so it's been interesting us working together because he give he kind of grounds me like, hey, this is <laughs> you can't you can't go off and left field like that just because your heart tells you to. So what's your how has that been working with someone like me that's that's all over the place with decisions based on more emotion? I would characterize you as all over the place. But it's a, <laughs> but, I, I'm like excited for this answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, you know it's, I have been accused of being pragmatic, which, which I am. I, I, I own that. Um, and uh, But it's a two-way street. I mean, and, and, and I like to thank my own recognition that, you know, granted, it's not always, you know, the how I have done things or how others or that have preceded me have done things, you know, is there's always more than one way to do something, no matter what. And, and uh, again, it's a different approach. It's a different perspective. Um, I think that's important. And, and I enjoy learning others, other perspectives as well. Um, I may still be, you know, I'm kind of been known to be a kind of a black and white kind of guy <laughs> as far as, um, I like to think I've, uh, loosened up a little bit over time. Um, uh, but again, it takes, you know, it's probably that more of that cooperative effort, of everybody, you know, again, it's all the perspectives that you're trying to incorporate um, because we are changing um, and we should be changing. Um, again, that's, you know, I'm not the old, the old salt firefighter, you know, that, you know, we've got to do this because this is the way we've always done this. I don't have the big, thick, cheesy mustache and, and thinking that, okay, yeah, this is the way we used to fight fire and, and 
You're we'll... speaking Kyle's love language right now. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. I'm like, I, no, no. I don't even know what to ask. Like he's answering all of it right now. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Nothing controversial coming out of this. So, so, yeah, um, but you know, and again, it's, uh, it's in recognition that, you know, I think, um, you know, I, and it's not, not to be the, not catch buzzwords and, and, you know, to be inclusive to, you know, the, that everybody's, you know, there's always a time where opinions don't matter. I mean, but, um, but there's plenty of times where it does leading up to those moments where maybe where they don't matter. Um, so I think opinions do matter in a lot of things that we need to decide or decide in van- in advance. Um, and because majority of what we do is not on the fire scene. Um, you know, that's a culmination, I think of uh, so much what we do, but it's not what we do, you know, every second of the day. Um, so, you know, we're, you know, a lot of those of us in administration and, or we see those firefighters who get a glimpse of administration and, you know, they've got to be, you know, either bored out of their mind because <laughs> they're on some limited duty assignment or something like that. And, and gosh, you know, gosh, how do you stand being in the office all day long? And, and, uh, you know, and I kind of get it, you know, you miss the, the, the ability to go out and run calls and cause that is the best job in the world really. Um, but that's not entirely what runs the fire department. So maybe, maybe chief Davis wasn't the best example of a baby boomer. <laughs> I think he is though. It's yeah. like, this is, this is it. Like it, yeah. it's, it's, uh, uh, for me, I mean, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air, right? Because it's, you know, a lot of things that I am just not used to. And, uh, uh, things that I typically don't see. It's it's a lot more of those generalities that that you see. If you don't live, breathe, and eat the fire service, you know you're lazy. You don't care. You know type mentality um, um, that that I'm more accustomed to. And you know the work life balance. Like, well, this is your job. You owe everything to it. This is your identity. You know, this is everything. And it's like, well, hold on a second. You know, I still can have that dedication, that hard work ethic, but when I'm not at work, I got to check out and that's, that needs to be okay. You know, as we advance through the generations, when I got in, you know, millennials were bashed, right? Hand over foot, just bashed for being lazy, this, that, you know, they, they want all these benefits. They don't want to work. And, you know, Gen Zers now are getting the, the brunt of it as well. And you spoke uh, to dedication, and I I really like that word because I think we can be both. And you spoke to work-life balance, how to be dedicated. So how, you know, being along in your career, how do you promote and I guess, you know, for lack of better words, teach that dedication to somebody coming in who, you know, wants to be at the beach, wants to be off, but still wants all the pay benefits and the, uh, you know, everything that we, we do get within the work we do. How do you teach that, uh, that dedication and, you know, why work is important? Because honestly, we do get some people who come in and, you know, they might not have that dedication, but it's our job as senior leaders to teach them that. So uh, any words to how to go about that? You know, it's cliche, um, yeah. but lead by example is always, to me, the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess this is, you know, characterized this way. This is this is my dig to the other generations. If you stay around long enough, you'll see it. <laughs> um, so that's that's part of the difference, I think. Um, is when I got hired, I got my job. You know, I didn't need to. You know, now, granted, there are situations where people move on for good reasons, but I tend to see, and I've seen this also from the recruitment side of, it, is that. I think success for us is measured by someone. If we keep them five to seven years and get a little return on return on investment, because the first couple of years are, you know, we're training you in most cases, uh, starting from scratch. And 
And um, once you get to a point where you're finally are good on your own, as it were, even though we're never on our own totally, but um, then sometimes we chase salaries. Sometimes we, you know, or maybe go to the places that run more calls or the calls you think you like, um, which you may not like 10 years from now when you're up all night. But um, another thing I appreciate too is the value of sleep. Right. <laughs> That's <laughs> and I'm not, that I'm not in the station anymore. Um, but, you know, again, lead, lead by example. Um, I think, uh, I like the, the, the example. I, I think that maybe I might project uh, those who do see me now. Um, and cause I do work part-time, I'm still connected. still want to be connected. I still enjoy my work and I've done a variety of work in the fire service. It's not just being a firefighter, which a lot of people, I think sometimes pigeonhole themselves, you know, I only want to do this. Um, my advice too, is to at any opportunity, you can do something other than be a firefighter, take advantage of it while in the fire department. And, um, Cause you can always, you'll always come back to being a firefighter. You're always, you know, and if it works out that you get that promotion because of you spend a little time in training, you spend a little time in the fire marshal's office, spend a little time um, doing special projects or, or um, cause I've always been a big believer. You have to establish your own value. Um, so if, if, you know, don't, you know, as I used to characterize, don't sit on the sofa, eat chips all day and expect something to come to you. Um, so be the, be the person that, would you will be desired to, to, to be the one to be asked to do something, um, because of what your qualifications are, what your, you know, again, what your work ethic is, if you really have that drive to, to make a difference. Um, and you know, not sit around and complain all day, which there's some out there that do that. Yeah. Um, you know, so, um, but again, yeah, leading by example, um, hopefully, um, you know, I've been, to this point, pleased with my choices in life. I'm fortunate. I've been very fortunate. I am fortunate with, with James City County. They've done me well, and, and I hope I've done them well to a great extent. But, um, but I've been, and it's all about sometimes all about timing, you know, a little bit of luck. And, you know, fortunately, that's been with me anyway, personally. Um, so I've got, again, do a variety of different stints in the fire service, um, you know, increasing responsibilities, um, and then to retire and still say, you know, and, do a variety of, as far as work goes um, from emergency management to recruitment. I'm back full circle for me in the fire marshal's office, um, which what I was doing 30 years ago. <laughs> um, so life is life has come full circle for me and um, probably my last phase I would expect. <laughs> um, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you <laughs> think, you know, in your position and you see, you know, you, maybe not being involved in recruitment, but towards the end of your career as a deputy chief, as new people were coming in, was it an approach or how do you feel on an approach of meeting them where they're at and then teaching them essentially why you are or why your generation sees things a certain way? So essentially as senior leadership, should we be meeting the younger people where they're at with the end goal of teaching them the strengths from our generation? I, I do believe we can, we can blend the traditions that we have, of course, and we should, we should. I mean, I think we always, always should remember where we, where we came from. Um, but at the same time, we have to have an eye to the future. And again, the, the future is, you can't get around it. Are these people that we're bringing on uh, today? Um, so should we consider what's important to them? I, I think we should. Um, the, uh, I, and again, maybe I'm the anomaly. Again, I'm not the old salt firefighter again that, um, you know, like I think it's not about how many people you can weed out, but how many people you can keep in. And it's incumbent upon us to train them up to what we need them to be. Um, because uh, as 
you know, administrative officer or somebody has to, you know, manage staffing. Um, the longer you don't fill a position, <laughs> you know, the more overtime you're going to pay. Um, not, you know, overtime might be great around Christmas time, but you know, if, you know, if you have mandatory overtime all the time, it, that gets old real quick to these guys. And, and I understand that and appreciate that. Um, so not that we push anybody through training and, or not that you lower any standards, but at the same time, their goal is, is to let's get people through let's people get people to where we need them to be versus, well, let's, let's wash them out. And, and then, but we have to wait six months till we get a replacement because we're not immediately replaceable. And so the time, time factor involved is, is critical. And I've certainly seen that both on the administrative side and, and the recruitment side. What you said about, uh, it's not about weeding people out, but how do we keep them? I, I think that is, that's like the, the, the crux of this episode. If anybody's out there listening, like you need to listen to that. <laughs> like it's how do we keep people? And I, yeah. that, that's I know these all, these all these training officers are just, you know, just steaming right now. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, we got to weed, weed out the week, right? No, it's how do we build people, especially now? You know, I work with people who this is their first full-time job. They just moved out with mom and dad, this is their first full-time job. Um, it'd be easy to weed them out probably, right? Because right. they don't know uh, anything, but it's also an opportunity for us to look forward and to teach them and train them to keep them. I think that's right. beautifully put. Yeah. And you can still, I mean, you can still teach or, or, you know, you have to work hard. I mean, you can, don't take Absolutely. away anything from your, from your training program. And, you know, it, it is hard work to get there. And, and sometimes people, make it and, and don't maybe we're never intended to be firefighters and that's fine you know they give it a try and and that's okay um there's gonna be a, a percentage of those folks um but i do believe there are some folks that maybe we kind of push out and maybe you know and that's you know that's not the case i mean it shouldn't be the case um and you know so i think it's it is about perspective um you know it's about also too um you know and i'm getting from other people i'm not a um you know, an instructor per se, you know, I was never uh, assigned to training. It was one of the few things I did not do in my career, but, you know, adult learning is an important thing. I mean, and, and how we teach people, you know, one, you know, the shotgun approach to, to an entire class, it may not work. You know, there's, uh, people learn differently. Um, and, and so we have to kind of recognize that, that one methodology is not going to necessarily work. Um, doesn't make the employee or the firefighter any, less of a learner or a person is just that sometimes they learn differently. Now, how do we, you know, how do we deal with that or, or, you know, encourage these different, you know, learning methodologies. So I have another question about like recruitment stuff. So Kyle and I've been doing a ton of just learning about all the different generations and some, and from my perspective, it seemed like those older than me or came before me and it, it was definitely rubbed off on me when we're hiring folks or promotions, um, interviews, and people come in dressed a certain way or talk a certain way or answer questions a certain way that, um, you know, appearance and, and dress, you know, the way they're dressed and things like that was very important. You know, probably your generation, my generation, Gen X, but you're kind of the one that, that taught all of us on the interview panel. Like, it doesn't matter, you know, what, what folks are wearing. It's what they bring to the table. And, you know, regardless of what they have on, did they make an effort, you know? And, and so did you ever have a shift in your, in thinking that way? Or did you, or have you always believed that? 
Uh, well, I think I like to think we're all we're all are evolving, you know, all the time. And and I'm certainly I, I have two now. But if you ask me, what am I going to wear to an interview? I'm wearing a coat and tie no matter right, what. Right. And and because again, that's yeah. ingrained in me and how I was raised, and 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 it's important for me to do that. So you know, I always say, you know, you know, church court and <laughs> all these things. I'm wearing a coat and tie no matter what. Um, and uh, and kind of a quick little story, but my son who was for well, the job he has now, he was interviewed before he was interviewing, he called me and told me he was interviewing the next day. And, and, uh, you know, just kind of getting some last minute advice, I guess. And, um, I asked him, I said, what are you wearing? And, um, he goes, I'll, I'll probably wear some, you know, khakis and a polo. And, and he's got nice clothes. He wouldn't have dressed down. He wasn't, wouldn't be inappropriate to way for him to dress. And I asked him, I said, why don't you wear a coat and tie? He goes, he goes, uh, dad, that's your generation. And I, I said, I agree with you. It is my generation. I said, there's a likelihood that people in my generation are interviewing you. I said, you can't take away anybody's bias. You know, it's, it's that for, you know, when you first see somebody again, you get that impression, those first impressions. So would it be a negative impression if they saw you in a, in a nicely pressed shirt and pants? Probably not. Would it make a better impression possibly if you had a coat and tie on, you know, you're not selling yourself out by doing that in my, in my opinion. And I said, until your generation is interviewing you, <laughs> then, you know, you might want to think about that who, you know, so know your audience. And, um, so I think that's important, but I do, I do believe, I do agree that, um, it's not one size fits all regarding our applicants. Again, we all come from different places. Um, not everybody has or can afford a nice cut and tie some, you know, it's just not what they wear today, you know? Um, and I've said before, I'm more impressed with an applicant who I see who has, has a brand new shirt and I know it cause I can still see the squares in the shirt because <laughs> they should have ironed it. Now I would have ironed it cause of my generation, <laughs> but I do know they made the effort to buy a brand new shirt. Um, you know, it might not be a coat and tie, but you know, at least they made, you can see they made some effort. Um, so, and again, it's, uh, and again, it's what's, what's, what are they telling us? What's inside? What, you know, who they are versus, you know, what their appearance is. Um, um, now there's probably certain things that uh, in my generation, I probably wouldn't accept as much, you know, you know, wearing a hat in an interview or, you know, I mean, we've, I've seen, and again, I've either, um, managed or sat in, you know, hundreds <laughs> of interviews and, um, you know, the sunglasses on the back of the head or, or, you know, and, and, and um, you know, or to me, it, it may be obvious that they could have maybe had some cleaner clothes, but I mean, again, some people come straight from one job to another too. Maybe you have to factor that in as well, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I would not expect and, and, and don't expect everybody to come in in a coat and tie to look just like me, um, you know, for an interview. I, I have another question. <laughs> Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> um, Kyle and I have talked before about in Illinois, their promotion process is it, is really governed by the unions there. Um, and it's so it's all written in state law. Yeah. State law. So, you know, we have the flexibility to kind of write that here. Um, and so Kyle in, in Illinois, there's points for seniority, correct? Correct. So what is your opinion on seniority versus like performance on a promotion process? Do you think seniority is, should be taken into consideration? I think it's important regarding seniority if you apply what you've learned in those years that you've have. Um, so it's, is it a 
necessarily a pass, you know, so if you have some, you know, I always, I always do comparisons, you know, it's, you know, it's one person to another, everything else being equal, what's going to make us want to hire you or promote you over the other person. So that's just little, the little things. Um, so you can have two, two people equal years of service. Um, so what have you done with the, in, within those years of service? Again, what have you established your own, again, establish your own value. Um, if you've been the employee who's, you know, let's say both have 10 years of service. Um, and again, you may be the, a good employee. You show up to work every day, you do your job and you go home and we can't ask for any more. Or you could be the employee that is part of three special teams, um, has worked nights and weekends, getting his, you know, education, um, doing all these things as the, as the go-to guy at the station. Um, if you want something done, you go to him. Um, and you know, not to, not in a bad way because other people won't do it. You know, this guy takes care of stuff. And so in those, within those 10 years, you, you compare the two. So let's say you have somebody so the other guy's got 15 years and again, just come to work. He's good. The good average employee, nothing bad about him. He does his job, same thing, but you got the 10 year guy who, again, who's gone, gone beyond. And um, so I think you measure can measure beyond years of service, years of service, if you've taken in and learned from those, what you've experienced during that time is important, not so much time served. Um, so, and, and I've, I've had to, you know, as far as uh, working on promotions myself, you know, I've had people that, you know, that have, you know, had discussions, you know, I would, anytime I would run a promotion process, certainly any, any of the applicants, any of the firefighters could have an opportunity to discuss their performance after um, a promotional process. And I would get that on occasion. You know, I got more years than the other guy, the guy you promoted. You know, it's got to be rigged because he's got less time or something like that. Um, you know, it's 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 it is a bad performance and and not um, you know checking a box that hey you know I've done my time here, therefore I deserve it. Um, it's what you've done with your time while you were here is important. Yeah, I think uh, one of the generalities of the baby boomer is equating experience or you know time on experience to. And seniority, like seniority does weigh a lot uh, in terms of in general to the baby boomer generation, obviously not uh, your opinion. But yeah, in Illinois, it is it doesn't matter what you do in that time. You're getting those points depending on years on. Yeah, and we do have some similar other some localities that are basically civil service jobs. And, and that's a big factor, too. Um, but I think fortunately for us, that's not the case. Um, you know, the, the seniority or years, you know, as far as minimum years of service to be able to promote or, or, or do things, that's, you know, I think that is important. You do have to have tests. Um, but, and again, we're, we're probably more on the liberal side, I believe, where we are down here and, and have been um, regarding that too. So, yeah, I think so. And I, yeah, that, that came to mind. Al and I have had discussions about, about that. And I was curious what your perspective was on it. How much time in did you have when you we promoted you? To captain? Um, eight years. Eight. Yeah. Eight eight career and had a couple, three three or four years before that volunteer experience. And, yeah. and where were you promoted? <laughs> I was promoted in the hospital. I had had my son that day. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. Yeah. I had Nicholas at four in the morning and... Uh, 
my boss here, <laughs> Chief Davison, the fire chief, came and promoted me in the hospital. Uh, uh, we it, delivered like, a delivered a badge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I don't recommend assessing for captain like 36 weeks pregnant. <laughs> yeah, we did have some concerns. Yes. Because I think was it your rescue scenario that we would were doing at the time, I think, right? Yeah, I had yeah. to crawl around all yeah. super pregnant. <laughs> worked out though. So. Well, Kyle, you got anything else or no, I think you know, to to kind of wrap wrap it all up, if you could give us like uh a 60 second, you know, add on what you think leadership needs to look like today. You know, when we're looking at these newer generations coming in, um, yeah, yeah, you know, just uh, that 60 second, like this is what you got to be doing. And, and if you're not doing it, you know, there, there's, there's some, how, how do we look forward? Um, well, my, my take on it is again, and, and, and this, this is old school. I mean, it is to me lead by example. I think, uh, if you have to be able to do what everybody else is doing again, they have to see that later that, you know, again, it's the, like the Marine, um, uh, the Marines always say, you know, always a rifleman, um, from the top, from the bottom to the top. So same thing. I mean, you have to be, you know, you're still a firefighter, even if you're the chief. Um, so you have to be able to do the job, obviously. Um, and, and they have to know that you can do the job. So you lead by example. Um, I know, uh, you know, and I know Terry can probably talk to this too, that is that if you're in admin, there's so much loss because you don't know what's going on in the fire station. And if you're in a fire station, so much is lost because you don't know what's going on in admin and you're suspectful of the other all the time. Um, so you have to get into, you know, get into the weeds. You have to, to get out there and whether you'll get the total truth, you know, when you go to, if you go to the stations, um, but you have to make yourself, you have to, make an appearance. You can't, um, you know, it can't be just an email every now and then from, you know, if you're a chief officer, it can't just be that emails and, you know, whether it's a good email or not, um, you still got to be visible. Um, and you know, whether it means sometimes showing up on calls, you don't normally show up on, um, you know, just, just do that make, make your presence known. Um, you know, be that EMT <laughs> every now and then, or, or, you know, um, you know, and, and I've, you see some chiefs, you know, that, at the end of a fire, you, you might see them rolling hose, you know, that may go a long way. Um, is there a real need to have the chief roll hose on a scene? Maybe not, probably not. But again, it's, um, everything is so tied into optics and, but it's important. Um, so, so one, you have to show yourself that you can do the job, you know, not your, not only your job, but everybody's job below you really. Um, and again, the, folks that work for you have to have that confidence and that you can do the job and that you've done it before even. Um, and, uh, you know, and, you know, you, again, you have to be visible. You have to listen to people, um, listen to all people. There's always going to be the handful of people that are going to bend your ear, no matter what, you know, that, you know, who, you, you know, who's going to talk to you and tell you either what you want to hear or don't want to hear. Um, but you know, those individuals in advance talk to the ones that won't tell you that right away or be as open with you. Um, you know, it's the quiet ones at the table. Maybe you want to talk to chief Davis. Thank you for your time today. You know, it was, it was good talking to you. And I think you brought in some really valuable insights to, you know, looking forward and, and how we do this going forward. And it's, uh, uh, a breath of fresh air hearing it. And everything that you said was 
some really great points. Uh, you know, I want to reiterate that one. It's, it's, it's not about weeding people out, but it's about how do we keep our people and how do we build them up? And I think that's, that's an, a fantastic outlook. And if we can, you know, overall start taking that approach, when we look at things, I think the, the future is bright. As we wrap up another episode, this has been Kyle and Carrie from the Heat of Command podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please make sure to follow and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. And as always, we love the feedback. Keep it coming. See you next time. Mm-hmm.